We chose the title, What If? What If? We chose the title, What If? And in this psalm, within expressing himself, David asks a question, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. And what he's doing here that we've taken our title from, David, he's posing this idea that something in life happened. And that something happened, it was pretty much more than he could handle. But then he acknowledges God steps in and delivers him out of this situation. And it causes him to reflect and go back and say, wow, what if God had not been there? So that's why we chose the title when we looked at this passage, what if? Now, if you're anything like me, you're already scared. When I look back at my life and I think about where I come from, it would be tragic to know what my life would have had turned out to be without God. It would have been tragic. In fact, Regen is in one of the neighborhoods in the streets we used to run. They probably still call this Funk Town. And we ran up and down these Funk Town streets. I won't tell you what we did because if I did, you probably wouldn't want to hear me preach. But then again, if I knew some of the stuff about you, I probably wouldn't want to preach to you. So that makes us even. But when we look at the text tonight, David, he, he makes a proclamation. He makes a proclamation. He says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Now, let me tell you something before we go any further. I know what they're saying. I know what they're telling you. And I just came by here tonight to tell you that they're all lying. When we turn on our TVs and our radios and we hear these prosperity teachers and televangelists, they're lying when they tell you you can skate through life problem-free. They're lying when they tell you God will deliver you from all your problems. They even say if you're having problems because there's something wrong with your faith, they're lying. And I believe I'm in good company because Paul said in Romans, the fifth chapter, Verse 3, he says, rejoice in suffering. That's an indication you're going to have some suffering. He said, because they produce endurance. Now, he's talking to Christians. And I'm in good company because James comes right behind him. In first chapter, verse 2, he says, count it all joy, meeting trials. That's an indication you're going to have some trials. He said, they test your faith and they produce steadfastness. Then Paul tells young Timothy, the second book of Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, all that desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. And then Peter comes, he comes along in in 1 Peter chapter 4, and I, I like the way Peter puts it. Peter says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial is testing you. He says, don't act As if something strange is happening to you. I like the way Peter puts it because that answers the question of all these wacky people running around talking about, why is all this happening to me? It's supposed to. And and then if that's not enough, my mother used to say, when you read the Bible and you see red in there, that's Jesus talking. And when Jesus is talking, you really want to be paying attention. And John records our Lord in the 15th chapter, verse 20, saying, the servant is not greater than his master. Watch this. This is Jesus talking. They persecuted me. They'll persecute you. So I believe I'm in good company when I tell you they're lying to you. 
If you breathe air, you will have some problems. My father used to put it like this. He said, when you talk about problems, you either just got through with one, getting ready for one or in the middle of one. But either way it go, you got one. You got one. My wife, she'd probably say the same thing too. But (laughs) when we look at this text, David says, he says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, David makes a proclamation. And in David's proclamation, he proclaims that something was done that he couldn't do. In his proclamation, he admits what was done was done by God. And let me tell you something, just in case you didn't know, I have a newsflash for everybody in here tonight. God is able to do what you cannot do. In fact, I believe that's why we call him God. He's able to do what you cannot do. If you think I'm lying, anybody in here ever got sick and tried to heal yourself? Doesn't work, did it? Anybody ever had family members that was just acting up and you couldn't do nothing with? And some of us, we still can't. He's able to do you. We got to turn that stuff over. Is there anybody in here that is able to save yourself? I tried to tell my brother the other night, uh, not this one, but I could have been talking to him. But anyway, I'm talking to a brother the other night and he's talking about his kids. I said, look, bro, we ain't got no magic words to save these kids. God had to save us. So let him do the same thing for them. Hey, look, man, they get to the point where y'all got to pray for them and go on. I know that's all my mother felt about me. But anyway, that's another sermon. David proclaims that something was done that he couldn't do. And he admits that what was done was done by God. And then David, he goes into call and response mode. He says, let Israel now say, let Israel now say, let me explain call and response mode. Being that I was reared and brought up in a black Baptist church, when the preacher is preaching, he says something that you agree with in spirit or agree with by the word, but just sound good to you. You say amen. Yeah, that's call and response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen? Amen. They said six o'clock was good. You guys got it. He goes into call and response mode. He says, let Israel now say, and in verse 2, Israel makes the same proclamation. They say, if it had not been the Lord on our side. Now, uh, we won't get into the whole dispensation thing and the covenant theology thing because it would take us years to try to unravel that. And I'm not that stupid to even try. But let's just say for practical application, Israel represents the church. Let's say for practical application, Israel represents the church. And the church makes the same proclamation as David. And the proclamation is conditional. It's conditional because it starts off with the word if. And the condition is that God is on the side of the church. I know what I'm talking about. He told his disciples, he said, look, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know that bride that they're talking about in Revelations? That's the church. The only thing he's coming back for, God is on the side of the church. I try to tell my kids all the time and young people I run into all the time, look, let me tell you something about the church. When you think uh, your pants are big enough and you don't need church anymore, (laughs) those pants are really big. But I tell them like this, watch this. If you don't leave, you won't ever have to come back. If you don't leave, you won't ever have to come. Because watch this. 
He's on the side of the church. So once you figure that you're so big you don't need the church, God is not responsible for protecting you anymore. Oh yeah, Jesus is love, but he's not responsible once you say, I'm done with the church. You have just relieved him of that responsibility. So I tell him all the time, you think you got problems now? Leave the church and watch what happens. If you don't leave, you won't ever have to come back. The proclamation is conditional because it doesn't matter who is not on the side of the church as long as God is. I don't care who it is because it won't matter if God is not. And then David here, he shifts. He changes gears. He moves from proclamation to problems. And uh, here again, contrary to what they say, just because you're in the church, it doesn't mean you're excluded from problems. What I'm saying is being in church is not assurance from problems, but it is insurance in the time of problems. Yeah, all states don't have hands this good. He shifts from proclamation to problems. In verse 2, he says, when people rose up against us, he says, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. He shifts from proclamation to problems. He just breaks out of nowhere and says, when men rose up against us. And watch this. We see David makes the shift from proclamation to problems, and then we see the problems start with no reason at all. Let me tell you something, Regen. Just in case you didn't know, people really don't need a reason not to like you. Just in case you didn't know, people really don't need a reason to hate you. Oh, watch this. Watch this. We all have friends. Have you ever had a friend that says something like this? You know, I just, I'm just using Albert for example. <laughs> you know, I just don't like Albert. He's like, well, why? What did he do? I, I don't know. It's just something about him. I just don't like him. Have you ever heard that before? People really don't need a reason not to like you. It doesn't matter your color, your sex, your name, where you're from, where you've been, where you're going. It doesn't matter. If folk don't want to like you, they won't like you. And just because you say you represent Jesus, that's reason enough. People can manufacture reasons not to like you. Watch this. And you had nothing to do with it. And what David is saying here in verse 3, he says they would have literally devoured you. And uh, there's a word picture there, and it paints a picture of somebody that's so mad that it causes their nostrils to flare. You ever seen anybody that mad? I got a pretty big nose. If I did it from up here, you would be able to see it. But uh, somebody that's so mad that their, their nostrils flare in and out. And then he uses the word kindle. The word kindle, that's associated with fire. So what he's saying is somebody literally so angry at you for no reason at all that they have this burning anger. And when we go back, David says, then they would have. Then they would have. Then they would have. This statement indicates that something stopped them. And that something really is not a something, it is a somebody. And that somebody is God. Yeah, they intended to, they would have, they wanted to, they would have, they tried to, they would have, but God. And let me tell you something, I don't care what they say, God is the only being in this universe that has the power to put a but God in the middle of any sentence in your life. Let me give you an example. I was on a fast track to nowhere, but God saved me. 
I used to be a gangster, but God turned me around. I was on my way to jail, but yeah, I went. But God saw me through it. God is the only being in the universe that has the power to put a but God in the middle of any sentence in your life. Verse 4, David says, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Verse 5, he says, then over us would have gone the raging water. He makes three references to water here. The flood waters, the torrent, and the raging waters. And sometimes in scripture, sometimes in scripture, water represents a threat to life. And there are other times in scripture that water represents problems. Now, let me tell you something about water. And David, he makes three references. He said, our enemies would have carried us off like a flood. They would have carried us off like a flood. They would have flowed over us like water. They would have drowned us like a rapping river. Let me tell you something about water. If you don't get anything I say tonight, I want you to get this. And what I want you to get, I want you to take this home with you. And I want you to just marinate on this. Do the kids still say that? Marinate? Yeah, yeah. We used to say it, marinate on it. And this is what I want you to marinate on. God has experience with water. God has experience with water. I really want you to get this, so I'm going to say it to my right. God has experience with water. I really want you to get this, so I'm going to tell the people in the middle. God has experience with water. I really want you to get this, so I'm going to tell the people to my left. God has experience with water. Allow me to prove it. Israel is fleeing Egypt. Come to the foot of the Red Sea. And they got a Red Sea in front of them. Mounds on this side, mounds on this side, and a mad pharaoh and an angry army behind them. Just when it looked like all hope was lost. Just when it looked like all hope was gone. Moses begins to talk to God. He said, what do you want me to do? God says, stretch out that rod you got in your hand. Moses stretches out that rod, and my dad, if he was here, he'd say, quicker than now, sooner than what God does is something unique. He takes his big hand, he brings it down, and he karate chops the Red Sea like, ha-cha! And the children of Israel walk across on dry land because God has experience with water. Uh, one time they come into the Jordan at flood season, and they didn't know how they were going to cross, and God said, send the priests out carrying the ark first. And when the priests stepped out, the waters began to part, and once again, Israel walks across on dry land because God has experience with water. There was a showdown on Mount Carmel with Elijah and 450 prophets of Baal. And this is what the deal was. Whatever God answers by fire would be God. So Elijah said, well, I don't have anything to prove, so you guys go first. And this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a sacrifice. We're going to put it on an altar. And we're going to call God. And whoever God answers by fire be God. So uh, the prophets of Baal go first. And uh, they take the sacrifice, put them on the altar. And they begin to cry. And they begin to holler and call on Baal. And nothing happens. And they begin to holler a little louder. And Elijah said, man, you guys better speed 
beat it up. I got somewhere to go. They begin to holler a little louder, run around, cut it. And Elijah says, well, maybe he's on vacation. But I'll tell you what, I don't have time to wait till he gets back. So this is what I want you to do. Dig a trench around the altars. Fill it with water. I want you to take more water. Soak the sacrifices. Take more water. And then I want you to soak the altars. And then Elijah prayed. And God says, fire down. And it licks up all the water because God has experience with water. There was a storm out on the sea called Galilee. The disciples were in the boat. The sky got black. The wind started blowing. Lightning started flashing. Thunder started roaring. Water coming in the boat. And they're bailing water out and water's coming in. And they're bailing water out and more water's coming in. And they're bailing water in. The, and somebody says, this is not working. And somebody else says, wait a minute. Jesus is downstairs. Go downstairs and wake him up. They went downstairs, woke him up. He got up, came up, looked wind in the face, water in the eye. He said three words, peace be still. And there was a great calm because God has experience with water. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, anybody in here that's been to a good wedding, you know when you run out of wine, that's a problem. Well, they ran out of wine. And, and, and this was it. Jesus' mother was there, Mary. She says, look, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And this was way before Phil Knight and Nike. So Jesus tells me, he says, fill up the water pots. And then when you get done filling them up, take some water out of those water pots. And then I want you to take it to the governor of the feast. They did just like he said. And the text said, when they poured out the water that was made, wine, the governor of the feast, he tasted it. He said, whoa. He said, I've been to a lot of weddings. He said, but usually they put out the good stuff first. And then when you start thinking the cheap junk, then you won't even know. He says, but I've never been to a place where they saved the best for last because God has experience with water. Well, there was one more storm. Boy, this is a long story. There was one more storm in that same body of water. And the, the disciples in the boat, lightning start flashing, thunder start rolling, sky gets all black. Well, you know it. I said it before, right? So somebody says, wait a minute. Go wake up Jesus. Somebody else says, whoa, he's not here this time. And then just when they thought all hope was lost, all hope was gone, somebody looks out. And just to show me how things are under control, they look out and our Lord is walking on the water. Because God has experience with water. Whoo! If y'all clap it, it give me time to catch my breath. Ah. Okay, I'm ready. So David shifts again. He shifts again in verse six. This time he shifts from problems to praise. After going through all that, David realizes that God has experience with water. And since I'm at my brother's church, I'm going to translate that. God has experience with problems. That's the translation. And David, he shifts. He goes from problems to praise in verse 6. He says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. He said, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Verse 7, he says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. David, he shifts from problems to praise. David praises God because he realizes that God has experience with water. David, he uses the word bless. And the word bless can be translated to speak good of, to speak well of, or to always have something good to say about. And let me just tell you this. If you can look at your life, and see where it was wrecked. And if you can look at your life and see where God took that wreck and put it back together, just like you didn't have cut rate insurance, like you really did have all state. If you can look at your life and you say, you ought to always have something good to say about God. Uh, 
he shifts from problems to praise. He praises God. He says, blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. He, what he does here, he compares the enemy to a wild beast with sharp teeth. He compares the enemy to a wild beast with sharp teeth. And what David is saying, he's, uh, this would be cool if I had like that thing in the, the shadow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know where that came from. It just popped in my head, so I said it. <laughs> he compares the enemy to an animal with sharp teeth, a wild animal with sharp teeth. And there's another word picture there. And this is the mouth of the enemy. And these are the teeth. See, that would be cool when I was. Yeah, but anyway, these are the teeth. And what, what he's saying is, it's just about the time when the enemy was about to close those jaws on you. What God did is he took that same hand, the Kung Fu one that he karate chopped the Red Sea with, and he stuck his hand in the mouth of the enemy and snatched you out just in the nick of time. He compares them to an enemy. While we, and he's telling us that God literally snatches us out of the mouth of the enemy. Let me tell you something. Don't fool yourself. Not for one minute. We're at church. But it was somebody somewhere that left out of their house with salt and pepper and knife and fork and their intentions were to literally eat you alive. You were on the menu. But just about the time they're about to close those jaws on you, God stuck that hand and he snatched you out of the mouth of the enemy. Verse 7, he says, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. In verse 7, that snare is a trap. Let me tell you something about a trap. I don't know anything about hunting and not too fond of fishing, but I do know something about traps. And since I've been caught in a few, I believe that makes me an expert on the subject. So let me tell you something about a trap. First of all, you don't know it's there. When I was putting this together, this, this is another. I, I got to stop just saying stuff that pops in my head. I got to stop doing it. It's going to give me in trouble one day. When I was putting this together, I, the Lord is helping me and I'm gathering my thoughts and I thought that was pretty clever. You, you know, you don't know a trap is there. And I shared that with my sister. And Pastor Albert, she just looked at me and said, well, that's why they call it a trap. <laughs> I didn't think that was funny. <laughs> I guess. But anyway, you don't know it's there. And because you don't know it's there, you're not aware. Because you're not aware, you're not ready for it. Because you're not ready for it, you have no defense against it. Something else about a trap. Once you're in a trap, you're stuck there until something or somebody comes along and frees you. But there is a proper way. In fact, there's only one way to prepare for traps. It's revealed in Psalms 119 verse 105. It says, the word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And see, what happens is the word shines light on the path. The word illuminates the path. The word brightens the path. And once the word shines, once the word illuminates, once the word brightens the path, you can see. 
And what you can see, you can avoid. And what you can avoid, you can be free from. And praise be to God. Hallelujah. The gospel in this text, it shows up in the B part of verse 7. The B part, it says, the snare is broken and we have escaped. The fowler or the trapper is the devil. First Peter 5, 8, Peter compares him to a wild beast with sharp teeth. He says he roams around like a lion, seeking who he may devour. And the snare or the trap is sin. And the gospel of this text is revealed when David declares that the snare is broken and we have escaped. Just because I'm old fashioned, let me just say it like this. The snare was broken on a good Friday. When they took my Lord and Savior and they nailed him to an old rugged cross, they lifted him between heaven and earth. The snare was broken when my Savior died till the sun refused to shine. He died till the moon dripped away in blood. He died till a sinner said, surely this is the Son of God. The snare was broken when they took him down off that old rugged cross. The snare was broken when they placed him in a borrowed tomb. The snare was broken when he stayed there all night Friday night. It was broken when he stayed there all day Saturday. It was broken when he stayed there all night Saturday night. But thanks be to God, we were free and we escaped when he got up early Sunday morning with all power in his hands. When death The grave and hell were problems. The snare was broken. When death, the grave, and hell were problems, the Lord allowed us to escape. Christ took care of all of them and he replaced them with eternal life. How's that for fixing a problem? And now we share that gospel, that incredible news that Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins and rescue us from eternal separation from God. And he rose from the dead to give us new life. And and through faith in Jesus, we've been reconciled to God. We've been adopted into his family. We've been empowered to love our enemies. And we've been given the joy and the gift of enjoying him forever. That'll preach anywhere. David closes. He closes this psalm by saying, Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heaven and the earth. This is what David is saying here. This is what David is saying here. He's saying, Mighty God, in his infinite wisdom, and in his almighty power, if he has the intelligence If he has the power to create the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon, the earth, the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the beasts of the field. If God, almighty God, if he can do all that by saying, let it be. Then our problems are nothing for him. Our help is in the name of the Lord who has made the heaven and the earth. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you, Lord. We glorify you, God. We magnify you, Lord, for just being God. We thank you, Lord, that 
when we have problems, we can run to you, Lord, and we find shelter and security in you. Thank you, Lord, for being a problem-solving God. And we pray on tonight, God, that something was said to encourage somebody's heart, to encourage someone else to run a little further for you, Lord, to encourage someone else, wherever they are, to make Jesus famous. We pray that something was said that would encourage someone to just be salty and someone else to be a bright light, that your light would shine in them wherever they go, that they would make much of Christ, that that light would shine so that others would come asking, what must I do to be saved? We pray, Lord, that something was said. If somebody was here that did not know you, God, we pray that on tonight they got a proper introduction. Thank you, God. We love you. But we always remember you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.